0: Hello, and welcome to the Natural Evolution Podcast produced by Rebel Health Tribe. I'm Michael, and I'll be your host. Together, we will be hearing inspiring stories of healing and transformation, learning from some of the brightest minds in the world of functional medicine and holistic wellness, and exploring the world's best health related products, services, tools, and resources. announcement. We are recording in progress. Uh, Hey, I am back here today for another episode this time with Dr. Jared. How are we doing, my friend?
1: I am great. (laughs) Like I said, like you totally separated those two syllables. Jared.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, Dr. Jared Sigler is a doctor of chiropractic and he's been a, what is a CFMP?
1: Oh, Functional Medicine, certified functional, oh, medicine. Oh,
0: certified functional Medicine Practitioner. I don't know all my abbreviations. Uh, okay. He's a Functional Medicine Practitioner for the last eight years. He's trained in over 600 hours of functional neurology and helps to promote the healing of the central nervous system. Dr. Jared is someone who I send people to that they have tried everything and it doesn't work. And <laughs> the, I refer them to him uh, He's one of my go-tos with complex cases and complex chronic illness, and I also highly recommend you follow him on Facebook because your Facebook posts are really educational. Uh, you put a lot of value out there, um, and I always learn something. It actually stops my scroll whenever I see one of yours, and uh, I usually read it twice and then gather the nugget, and I always learn something from it. So, cool. Also, it's fun when we hang out, so this will be good. Yeah.
1: I do like the to promote critical thinking like uh like I train a lot of docs to do this stuff and I just tell them like you know parroting is easier than thinking Thinking's actually hard like we were just talking earlier before we hit live like just you know having mercy on the people that we think like oh my gosh how are they not finding this link how are they not doing this how are they not doing that and we're just like that's every day for them that's how bad it is they can't find the store they can't find the email they can't find the text and Um, you know, and at that point you have to sit back and just think, wow, that and that's why I love the brain so much because quality of life. Like I just say, if you're tired, you can drink coffee and wake up a little bit, you know, you can grind through it and stuff. But once your brain goes, if it, if it's really going, I don't want to say it's over, but you can't like fake that. You know, you can't try to compensate for it or anything. Yeah, no,
0: no piles of nootropics or caffeine or hacks and, and all that stuff yeah. is going to help. If... I would
1: argue that stuff might make it worse because then you're trying to force the brain to do something it's not trying to do, right? Like, I'm just going to take this, you know, uh, nootropic and force this acetylcholine from my frontal cortex will fire. And I'm like, yeah, but if your frontal cortex is shot, like you're like trying to just ice a sprained ankle so you can run on it more.
0: Well, I'll, I'm going to add that to the questions. We'll chat about that at the end, how nootropics could possibly make things worse. So to yeah. follow some sort of format, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about the brain today. He mentioned when I trained docs, Dr. Jared has trained a lot. I don't know how many practitioners over the last eight years. Or so. Okay. So mostly in functional neurology uh, yeah. type stuff. And he was part of our uh, brain and nervous system masterclass. And one of my go-to's for anything related to the brain, so that's going to be our focus today. Uh, is talking about neuroplasticity and does the brain have the ability to heal? And what kind of stuff can we do? And how would we even notice if this is necessary? We'll just uh, we'll just riff on all things brain yeah. and and see where it goes. Um, I guess my first question is. Why the brain, or how did you? Because I mean, when you got into when you went to chiropractic school, was it like I'm fascinated with the brain and I'm gonna go learn all the things about the brain that I can, or was it you were normal? I'll put normal in quotes because I know yeah, yeah. all chiropractors are unique, but were you going yeah. to like do adjustments in normal chiropractic yeah, medicine? I was the
1: athlete, I knew I was gonna work with athletes, you know, I spent a decade of my life like strength coach like you know going through these like sports rehab clinics all this stuff and then i learned about functional medicine and my wife was able to get pregnant and that was really cool but then i learned about functional neurology i remember the first time i was exposed to it i didn't even know what neuroplasticity was but i see this kid with cerebral palsy and that's where their hands kind of up in that fist almost like a stroke you know Um, And he had the slurred speech, just like a stroke victim would, because most people don't know a lot of people with cerebral palsy, but a lot of people know someone who's had a stroke typically. But anyways, we put him in this cross crawl pattern. My teacher pushed on the outside of his ankle, or one of the teachers did at that time, and drove his knee into it called a plant point, because a lot of how the brain develops is like crawling, all this cool, cool, cool stuff. And immediately his hand that was in this kind of flexure contracture just opened up. And he was just like, he started crying and he's like, my hand's never done that. And I mean, his mom was like, oh my God. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, God, I wish I would have had my phone. But then my next thought was, what the hell did I just watch happen? Cause we were trying to do traditional stuff. Like, well, let's do some, you know, counter strain, strain, like get these extensors fired up. Let's try to do some grass on the flexors, you know, traditional, like what I call the outside in model to rehab the brain. Like we're going to try to peripherally stimulate the brain to change like the way this arm Like most physical
0: therapy would be if people have gone to like conventional physical therapy. Yeah, yeah.
1: And and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you do need good sensory input, good motor output. But when I learned about neuroplasticity and for example, just reflexively making the brain say, we're going to fire some extensors and his hand just opened up. And I was like, wow, that's what I need to do. I need to learn that stuff. And I didn't know it at the time, but unfortunately chiropractic has been like bastardized into like low back pain, extremities, Cause that's what insurance pays for car accidents. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or it's injuries. Yeah. But when you look at schooling like neuroanatomy and neurophysiology, only true neurologists have actually more hours in school for that than a chiropractor. We learn about the, and I hated clinical neuroanatomy. That class was insanely hard. One of the hardest classes we took. Um, and I got like an A in anatomy. Like to me school is always easy cause I'm like left brain. Uh, getting a date for prom was that's insurmountable odds right there but uh, (laughs) um, but you know then when I saw what that could do like just changing somebody's life like bam I was like that's magic not quite magic but I got that tingly butterfly and I love getting those tingly butterflies I see it all the time like At first, it's kind of like, you know, back to the prom date, you're stumbling around the first time you find that neuroplasticity, you see someone's brain change right in front of you and you're like, holy crap, that's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Then you miss a few times, but then you get another one. So it starts to become routine. And then you realize, wow, basically, if I can make sure the fuel has enough brain, if I stimulate it, it will respond. There's like typically, I mean, of course, there's always like a ceiling, right? Like if somebody's blind, you can't be like, all right, I'm just going to like shine brighter lights in your eyes. Um, <laughs> it doesn't always work that way. Um, that might be a thing. Actually, on that note, like I've seen kids with diagnosed what's called cortical blindness actually look me in the eye after we'd be like lasering their head, doing some primitive reflexes because uh, I walked in on a buddy, I was shadowing him and, you know, doing a rehab intensive. Those are pretty cool. Um, And I was just helping with this kid. He was in an anoxic brain injury. He fell asleep and his head was a little crooked, fell off the side of the bed against the wall. And so, if you know uh, anyone that's had something like that, it's it's real bad. Like they go with, like they lose blood supply because they're next to a funny angle. It's part of their brain. So, it's like a massive brain injury, basically. Anyways, uh, we're just sitting there and I'm doing some Babinskis on his foot, getting some of these primitive reflexes going and everything. And he just looks at me and he's smiling. And I was like, hey, yo, man. And he's like, what's up? I was like, I thought this kid was supposed to be blind. And he's like, yeah, cortical blindness. I'm like, why are we looking at each other right now? So um, so when you hear things like that, you think, wow, that's a miracle. But I would say that's the body and brain healing. Give it what it needs. Slap some butter on it. Call it a biscuit, right? Um, so I'm from Oklahoma. So if there's a lot of southern twang and weird uh, things, that's Oklahoma-isms
0: <laughs> are part of the interview. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, and that's uh, to me, that's why I love it so much. It's because the, the impact that you can have on somebody's life. And when you think about it, like we're all wanting to live longer when I am, um, it seems like forever ago. So four years ago when I was at this neuro seminar, um, I remember them saying, if all of you live long enough, you will die of neurodegeneration. Like we can replace your heart. We can't replace your brain. And I was thinking like, holy crap, they're right. You know, because everyone wants to live longer. So for me, when I saw my wife holding my daughter, and I remember my grandma dying of Alzheimer's, the like, gruesome eight years that it was, you know, and I thought, they can't see me this way. Because, you know, I do functional medicine. I'm like, I'm APOE4, I've had head injuries, I smoked methamphetamine. So I have like all these cards stacked against me. <laughs> High school was rough, you know, <laughs> um, which you see, sometimes- I have almost all the
0: same cards. Definitely. Okay so you got into you got into functional neurology because you watched oh. some miracles happen and it lit yeah. you up and you were like man I got to learn how to do this I can relate to that not necessarily with neurology cuz I have like a <laughs> I have a second filter my reactions like that go through mm-hmm. when I know it's outside my scope of things i would be good at so i see things and i'm like that's awesome and it's like you suck at this part of that thing you can't do that thing so but then i still get lit up by it but the things that light me up are that that i'm in two trainings on it that i'm in this like people look at my bio and they're like dude you have like a degree in history and a master's degree in exercise science heads up to the strength coaches out there i did that too i had my cscs um which I was got it?
1: fired from Golds for having an old lady deadlift, man. And they were like, she's going to get hurt. And I'm like, isn't that why she's hiring me? Isn't that why she's deadlifting? So They didn't have insurance did on the freeway. So they're only on the machine. Oh, um, right it
0: goes. But I went from like history to yeah. exercise physiology. Then I started learning like holistic health, functional neuro- n- nutrition. Mm-hmm. Then I went fully to left field and went over into like trauma work and somatics and spirituality and energetic yeah. things. And Like I see something like I did two full-time years of training recently in energy work and like states of consciousness and awareness, because I met someone once who did something in front of me that I couldn't explain. And I was like, that doesn't fit my worldview. And it was really cool what I just saw. And I'm sure that just happened. And it changes the way that I see things. I need to know how to do that because that was too cool to not know how to do that. So like when you saw that person crawl, or they put the knee in the ground and his hand opened up. It was like, that's awesome. And for some of us, and there might be people out there listening who can relate to that. My first reaction to that is I need to know how to do that.
1: Yeah. Oh, that was, um, so I go to a seminar and I'll just use the name. I went to a Carrick seminar and that's a lot of big words. Anyone that's ever gone to them. And I was just like, I can't do this. I was like, I'm not smart enough. That was actually my first thought. I was like, I have no idea what they're talking about. These words are way too big felt like I just kind of wasted a lot of money on a seminar actually because I was like but then once they got to like back to those oh my god moments where you like just see the potential the intervention I found to stimulate the brain was it wasn't always easy but it was technically usually very simple we do like a position or a reflex or we do a cognitive task with a couple to an eye movement or we mix in some vestibular rehabilitation with that And then like someone's anxiety goes down Their, you know, pot starts to get a little bit better and stuff like that. And you're just like, oh, cool. Um, But, you know, and you try not to lose it because when it becomes routine, like, you know, um, when you see it happen all the time, you want to make sure it doesn't like lose its magic. Yeah. You know, Um, and and you've
0: mentioned you've mentioned neuroplasticity a couple of times. Obviously, we know what that word means. Everyone out there might not. So yeah. I want to backpedal just a little bit. I think we're we're throwing around some language between us that might be yeah. best to be defined. So um, neuroplasticity does not mean turning your brain into plastic. No. Uh, what what is like a working definition of neuroplasticity? Yeah. And what are you talking about when you mentioned that? Yeah.
1: So like take that kid's hand that was like a kind of like a stroke called a flexure contracture. So neuroplasticity is the, the brain is trying to find the road to tell his arm to hang normal at his side, like his other arm. And I just say, the main road is closed, we're finding a detour. Can we find another way to get to that part of the brain to activate it basically? So we use very specific stimulation to try to grow connections. One of the big fancy words is called preneuronal pooling. Like I mentioned, vestibular rehabilitation. So we know, for example, those are the ear canals. And we think of the ear canals usually like, oh, I feel really dizzy. I have a Meniere's or something. Most ear canal issues are actually anxiety, motion sickness, uh, anxiety in like loud crowded areas. So if like driving through a big parking lot to Black Friday, super crowded. If that's like your kryptonite, you probably have some sort of vestibular thing going on. Maybe, you know, there's a lot going on. But anyway, so we'll do this thing called preneuronal pooling where it's like, hey, if I have somebody stare at a target and I turn their head different ways and make them activate different canals, I know their ear canals will suppress my amygdala, my anxiety center. Preneuronal pooling. So I know where one area is going to fire into. When we teach doctors how to do this, I just tell them, like, you got to know the maze. If you don't know the maze, you can't find your way out of it, you can't find those detours. But the more you know that maze the more you know those big words where things are going to go the easier and easier it becomes now those aha moments start to become routine you almost expect those connections or that neuroplasticity to be made unless something metabolically is happening and i find very few things that you can say that about like hey this usually happens most of the time um Cause that's the way the brain operates. Like it, it, all it needs is oxygen, sugar, reason fire poof, hear a sound, see a sight, feel something on your skin. That's all it needs. So if we can just do different things and the interventions would typically be easy, you know, like we're talking about, we'll use a lot of eye movements, head, just stuff people can do at home. You don't have to have like, you know, all this like super fancy equipment, but that does help. You know, I just got lady reached out to me. Her father uh, has had seven strokes since catching the Rona, just stroke, after stroke, after stroke, after stroke. And she's like, of course, it's like a Facebook message. So it's like, Hey, what do I do? And it's like, how do you fix seven strokes in a few sentences? You know, like nobody can do that. And I'm just like, Hey, I, like the honest answer is, I don't know. I don't even know your dad like sucks that he's there. I hate imagining what everybody's going through for that. But you know, a something metabolically is going on, we can keep retraining the brain to try to like, Hey, use your tongue, use your lips, like get all these kind of quality of life back. So you can swallow and do all this stuff that people want to do after a stroke. But if you're just going to go have another stroke next month, like we got to fix that, like whatever is happening metabolically is. And that's where, um, the reason I love the brain so much is I found it's usually just the biggest victim out there. You know, it's so secondary to, I would say stress like cuz you know we can go through the list right? like here's mold here's here's aluminum and it's you know it's antigen presenting cells and get super sciency um, but I just think of the brain as like this very delicate punching bag and once it gets hit once it doesn't have to get hit hard again to really feel it gotcha um so it's
0: in summary there like n- the actual mechanisms by which a lot of these changes are really complex. Like Mm -hmm. when you were in that, that conference and when, uh, if you really want to break it down, like if somebody wanted to explain exactly how and why that guy's hand opened when his knee touched the ground, uh, we're going to get into some crazy words that are really long, that don't make sense to a lot of people and processes that science, frankly, probably right now doesn't even fully understand. But the actions that you take to cause the responses and the matching of this type of exercise or activity or stimulation with this Mm -hmm. type of brain problem, uh, that doesn't have to be complex. People aren't going to have to do like rocket science in their house to fix their brains or to help their brains. The the thing you do is usually pretty easy. The way it works is complex and yeah. you don't necessarily need to know the way it
1: works. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like I, I actually use the strength training analogy. I'm like, you don't have to know exactly all your hip biomechanics to know like how to hip hinge and squat right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you can look in the mirror, you can have someone spot you. Yeah, I taught
0: people how to do that who didn't know any of that stuff.
1: Yeah, and you didn't have to go into like, so at 37 degrees of flexion, now your acetabulum is going to start rotating along the y-axis like nobody cares.
0: Unfortunately, I had to learn that. Gratefully, I never had to regurgitate it again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just I got my CPT done.
0: Yeah, Um, done. Yeah, but
1: and that would be kind of the same thing. Like I just say, think of it like a personal trainer for the brain. Yeah, like we can just and that like to me that neuroplasticity is the same concept as just strength. Like my muscle is bigger, stronger, faster. We do the same thing for those regions of the brain. Um, like and super kind of gratifying actually not kind of gratifying it's it super gratifying but that's where I want to have it stick you know I, I equate it to like back to that hip hinge analogy like well when someone learns how to like actually move at their hips instead of their lower back you you can kind of groove that pattern but you don't have to keep redoing it every training session you gotta like move forward so when we'll start doing these things people will start saying like gosh this exercise is boring my balance is easy now doc I don't get anxious at all. I drove myself like two weeks in a row. And we're like, cool, now that it's easy. Now let's get it hard, right? Like now that you can hip hinge, now we're going to start putting weight on the bar, we're going to start demanding more and more of that area of your brain without exceeding that metabolic capacity, right? Like we don't want to be like, all right, you squatted, you know, 50 pounds. Now let's go for 500. Like, right, like who would do that? So, kind of the same thing. We'll see metabolically, like maybe how fragile someone is, how much stimulation can they have, not annihilation. I always tell my patients that I'm like, stimulate, don't annihilate. We start doing these brain exercises, and you're like, feeling kind of tired today. Whew, I don't know if I really can handle like, you know, these five minutes of da da da. And I'll say, well, then maybe don't do it that day. You know, I would sell the same thing if I had a client and I was their strength coach, and they're like, hey, I was sick yesterday. Uh, I don't know if I should come in. I'd be like, you damn right. You shouldn't come in. You're sick yesterday. You need to heal. Like you just trying to get under the bar is only going to make healing harder now for you. Let's just wait, you know, knock the dust off those weights a little bit later. Um, so we want to metabolically make sure somebody is good. That's what's called fatigue ability. Um, that, uh, pro tip. Usually fatigability, when you exceed that in somebody's brain, they get a sympathetic or fight or flight response. Palms get sweaty, heart starts racing, they're like, is anybody else nervous all of a sudden? And it might be something weird. They're like, all I was doing was, like, stimulating, like, you know, I had maybe a cold pack on my left arm for too long. You'd be shocked. Those usually aren't the things. It's usually the ear canals. We'll notice if we get someone, they're like, I turn my head too fast and I get dizzy. I'm like, well, quit turning your head too fast. Like, come on stimulate don't annihilate
0: it i'm pretty guilty for that (laughs) if i do this thing it hurts well why are you doing that thing
1: yeah
0: um yeah i am guilty so if anybody out there falls into that trap i feel you my wife makes fun of me pretty Um, often for that
1: but yeah like you know and that's where pain is one of those things like that's your body trying to tell you like don't do this um and the reason why we want to try to strengthen an area of the brain it basically becomes a race against time like back to neurodegeneration, mm-hmm. people in the know know you don't develop Alzheimer's. Like my grandma didn't develop Alzheimer's when she was 68. She developed Alzheimer's when she was 28, when she was 30, when she was 40. The
0: symptoms came when she was 68. Yeah, her
1: brain just couldn't do it anymore. She lost more than she could gain. And once that kind of seesaw flips, now, because um, I work with people with neurodegeneration, like doctor, back to Dr. berdesden's thing, like, I tell my Alzheimer's patients, your plane is going down. We're trying to just level it off. If your life cannot suck more than it does, that's starting to be a win. If we can increase function, that's even better. Because I never want to have somebody think like, oh, if I do this, I'm just not going to have Alzheimer's. I say, I don't know if I would be so brazen as to say that, but we can keep things going a lot longer and a lot better than they would be if we didn't do anything at all. I think it'd
0: be good right here to pause for a second and ask, yeah. you know, you mentioned she didn't develop Alzheimer's when she was 68. She developed it when she was 28. Both of us have done a very good job of attempting to develop Alzheimer's in our twenties and teens and thirties yeah. too, as if it were our goal that we were racing to. Yeah. Uh, when I say that, when you say that, what are the things like yeah. in her life or ours or in general in normal, like normal life in this mm-hmm. country yeah. uh, that, contribute to neurodegeneration like and how much is I know our medical system the western medical system likes to throw genetics at everything and be like
1: yeah
0: you have this gene or your family had this so you're for sure going to get that and I'm sure there's some higher susceptibility or you're more likely to have problem clearing toxins from the brain or like something like that but in general what are the the contributing factors most responsible for neurodegeneration in like modern life? I know there's a oh, lot. We can stick to like the winners.
1: Eating. Yeah. Sedentary and eating. And I would say some form of chronic stress, typically a poor relationship. So um, chronic so like,
0: stress, poor relationships, sedentary life. And when you and, say eating, what kind of food? Oh, she was a diabetic.
1: But, um, yeah. when we think of like, like what we do now, what me and you do now to not do that when we're 68, uh, everybody listening the best thing you can do for your brain later like 30 years from now is periodically go out without food just just stop just crying out loud like if you derive pleasure from food hey, that's a big problem if they're like i can't give up this you know little debbie i'm like the little Debbie's just the the symptom like he, the rest of your life must suck if that's the only thing you derive pleasure from not to cast stones but you know sometimes people just need that oh you're like yeah you're right you know um but so that's where um, we're chronically overfed. Because when we think of all those side roads, those are called synapses. You got to do a thing called pruning. You got to trim your bushes, or now nothing's going to work. And that's what Alzheimer's and all these neurodegenerative diseases start out as. And they just start as there's too much junk because we're constantly growing and eating and eating and eating and eating and eating. And insulin grows more than just fat cells. Like, Um, I mean, so when we think of her diet, her lifestyle, she was pretty sedentary, not to throw stones, he's dead, but it was dry eyes at my grandfather's funeral. Um, He uh, living under that roof was my adverse child event. So she had a poor relationship with that guy, you know, married to a mean man for forever. So, uh, so if we think like, oh, you know, if I'm just gonna like, take this nootropic and you know, do this, that, and the other, and it'll magically erase like my entire lifestyle and memories and baseline of stress. Um, that's not going to get too far. The Oklahoma saying would be it's like farting in a tornado.
0: Okay, so you mentioned sedentary living uh, yeah. stress or m- largely like, harmful relationships chronic stress like stress every day hate your job hate your life hate your partners hate your family situation or people are abusive to you and then overeating slash poor blood sugar regulation which if you have sedentary and stress and eating you're going to have blood sugar dysregulation so that is only about three quarters of the country
1: yeah half of all young adults are now considered obese yeah, so, and it's not the sound... Uh, what do
0: you mentioned, sedentary. Where, where, how does that factor into the brain?
1: Uh, everything improves with exercise. Proper exercise, you know, again, stimulate, not annihilate. But I mean, we got blood flow, we got hormones that tell the brain to start growing those connections or those dendrites called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic. It's like growth hormone. For BDNF
0: increases with exercise.
1: Yeah, and that's that's necessary. Strength for or that cardio or either. Either. You know, some people will say this, that, and the other, and I would say there's nuances, but I just tell my Alzheimer's patients, like, yeah, I'm like, I want you to be physically active every day. You got to kind of actually be huffing and puffing, whatever huffing and puffing is for you. If you're 88 and walking up the stairs with a load of laundries, huffing and puffing, do it twice, you know, but rest a little bit.
0: But don't sign up for an ultra marathon.
1: Exactly. You know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've seen uh, that
0: so many times. And I, I just want to yeah. mention that anytime it comes up that uh, whenever I used to, I worked with clients for six, seven years, and I would make a recommendation, like, you need to move your body every day. Yeah. And then the next time I talk to them, they can't move their body anymore, because they ran four miles the day after I told them to move their body the last time. And mm-hmm. they hadn't run in seven years. Yeah. And now they're injured. And I'm saying this out loud because I've recently done this to myself twice. Mm -hmm. I couldn't go to boxing anymore because the COVID shut everything down. So I bought a thing for my garage about a year into that. And then I hit the bag in my first training session, the same way I would have a year prior.
1: How'd your wrist happen?
0: My shoulder and it still hurts. And that was nine months ago. So I couldn't use it very much anymore. I bought this thing, used it like two or three times and then was too injured to use it. And then I Mm -hmm. went to yoga a couple of weeks ago for the first time in a number of months. And did something, it hurt a touch the first time I did it, like the first cycle through. But I did it, and I was like, Okay, second time through, should have been like that hurt the first time. I should modify that. I know how to modify that, I could easily modify that. Instead, I was like, I'm gonna just do it harder, yeah. (laughs) And then I might have a partially torn something in my knee. So I'm not judging anybody out there, yeah. But especially I've noticed after I hit 40, this becomes even more important. Uh, Like, I like what you said about whatever huffing and puffing is to you. And um,
1: Yeah, I would just tell people, I want you to feel good doing it. That means, A, you like doing it, and the odds of you doing it are higher. mm -hmm. Um, So something you like to do, I want you to feel good while you're doing it. The odds of injury go down if something feels good, if we're stressed and hurt and... ah, um, not going to be uh, bad. It's like super bad news. And I just say, I want you to feel good after it. Usually if you have to, you know, psychologically force yourself into a workout, I'm really going to do this today. It's going to be good for me. I don't really want to, but whatever. That's your brain saying, please don't do this. I can't heal. Then you have to struggle through it. You're slower. You're breathing harder. Nothing feels as good as you thought it would. I'll say, those are your actual muscles and cells screaming, please. I can't heal from this. Because um, we know fatigue is like a warning. Like um, when I used to work with athletes, of course we would train them hard. I was responsible for a lot of the collegiate level in my undergrad, and of course we'd get a hold of them in the off season. Our first thing is like, well, we got to make you stronger, but we got to let you rest at the same time. It's like super hard to do. Um, but if it was the day before a track meet, I would bet on the better rested athlete more than the overtrained athlete, guaranteed off the blocks. Um, when we think about it, something like explosiveness, fatigability, like all that sort of stuff, endurance, uh, or like metabolically being able to do something like a sprint, super high intensity. The problem is the brain is so delicate, right? Like when we think of super high intensity, the only downside, because usually we get more of the good stuff. Uh, We get like, you know, more BDNF, better blood sugar handling, we get all this good stuff, the harder that exercise is, but we get more oxidative stress. So somebody like has Parkinson's, gut infections, all these things that are causing oxidative stress. True, they need to exercise, but can they also heal from the exercise on top of what's causing their Parkinson's to begin with? So we always kind of wonder about stuff like that.
0: I'd like to briefly interrupt this conversation to let everyone know that we've got a free downloadable Foundations of Wellness starter kit that's available for you right now over at www.rebelhealthtribe.com foundations if you'd like a little help organizing and implementing all your learning from this podcast. A gift from our team over at Rebel Health Tribe, producers of this show. And now, back to your episode.
1: So everyone uh, does a lot of vagal nerve stimulation, right? Motor vagal nerve stimulation, I'm going to gargle. Well, if we activate the vagus nerve, we know there was what's called a retrograde. Proteins start to get pulled up. If somebody has a gut infection and we know that those toxins are climbing up the vagus nerve, then I dare ask, would something like motor stimulation cause more retrograde proteins to be pulled up the vagus nerve deposited inside of the brain? Probably not. (laughs) right so because that's the thing like oh just vagus nerve stimulation and
0: probably not a good idea and i my curiosity around vagus nerve is like there's so many of these um and and i'm sure there's validity to a lot of the exercises and things and it's a problem and for some people they don't have infections and this would be great so we're not speaking in absolutes but i feel like there's all these half-baked recommendations in functional medicine where something gets figured out but not totally understood yeah and then there's recommendations made based off it and the not totally understood part comes to light later and then it's like oh wait maybe this wasn't the best call because it's it's my understanding that if something gets shut down like a process in the body gets shut down or slowed down or Mm -hmm. frozen or isn't being used or whatever the right term is uh take thyroid for example when the thyroid gets down regulated and then i have a thyroid problem let's take thyroid hormone let's Yeah. To me, it always makes the most sense to really just follow the trail back to like what downregulates vagus nerve tone. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And
0: what downregulates thyroid function and what downregulates thyroid hormone conversion. Yeah. Yeah, And the things that usually downregulate those things are stress, our circadian disruption, our trauma, Mm our, you know, blood sugar regulation issues. Like, it's usually the body being like, oh, I'm in a bad situation. <laughs> I'm in yeah. an unsafe situation or I'm overloaded or I'm this. I'm going to shut down all of these things to try to slow yeah. this person down. And then we're like, oh, caffeine, this, that thing. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and gargling yeah. to force the nerve back on and doing these things. And like, mm-hmm. I've always been curious about the vagal nerve situation that um, why did it, why is it, why is there a lack of tone to it? Why is, why was, why did that happen? How did that happen? And are we messing with the body's own feedback mechanisms when we try to override them? And then what happens then?
1: Yeah. You know, and that's exactly it, you know, because, and it's not, I wish it was as simple as I stimulate the vagus nerve, my sympathetic nervous system shuts off. But that's actually where we'll use more of the other side of the coin for somebody. Like if I have a Parkinson's patient in front of me, of course, we're gonna work on their motor system and things like that, because your cortex is going to inhibit your sympathetic nervous system. Think of like a baby's brain developing. They're born, they first open their eyes. Now they can see, now they can hear, now they can feel. That all starts to develop the cortex. Their cerebellum is now sensing gravity. Where is my body? where is my head and everything in relation to, you know, gravity that starts feeding into the cortex. Then their cortex develops, their heart rate starts to go down. All these things start to go down. If you ever listen to a little baby, like my son's going to turn one tomorrow, his little heart's just like, you know, Um, but anyways, so we'll start activating their cortex. Can I activate their motor system and their basal ganglionic things, maybe even their cerebellum Get their hand to quit moving, get their leg to start walking better, so they're not falling or whatever, and they can actually like get up from the couch to go to the bathroom. Um, now we can inhibit their sympathetics by activating their cortex, which that'll in turn increase sympathetic tone. I'd probably tell them to, uh, well, like I had one guy with Parkinson's. The best thing for him was not a brain exercise. We were just back to eating all the time. He intermittent fasted, but he only had a two-hour eating window. He did not starve to death. I had to reiterate to him. this Two is hours? Hypo-caloric. Yeah, he would eat from four o'clock to six o'clock. The whole time? <laughs> mm-hmm. Basically, if I was, he would if I was still only get about 1800. He would get it still. The, so I had to tell him, like, we can't starve slowly. Like, because a lot of people try to intermittent fast. I'm like, just continuously missing breakfast is intermittent fasting. I hate to, like, break it to you out there. Um, like you truly need to be intermittent, kind of allowing the body to switch. You always got to keep the body guessing back to like training, right? The said principle. And that's something I'll always try to apply to someone's metabolism, even from a functional medicine standpoint. So the said principle is there's a specific adaptation to an imposed demand S I I D. So if I can make that adaptation, like, Hey, we're going to start cleaning the junk out of your brain. Because there's too many toxins and proteins up there and the easiest way to do that is you just quit eating for like 22 hours a day because uh, we were waiting on test results for this guy he could his main thing was his legs would just move all night he'd be kicking his wife all over the place Because we know parkinson's can affect the legs too so i'm like hey man let's do this intermittent fasting thing he was a good old boy um and like, while we're waiting on test results, I was like, you know, we get back speaking after a few weeks. I'm like, so how are things? He's so like, well, me and my wife are sleeping in the same bed again. He's like, we don't have to sleep in separate beds. Cause he, his love language is personal touch, you know? Um, and I was like, that's cool, man. What did that? He's like the eating thing. He's like, yeah, I was hungry at first around breakfast, but you know, he said I could have coffee and you know, for him coffee was okay. You know, I'm not going to vilify again. We can't ever talk in absolutes. As soon as somebody says, all or a none. I'm like, you really don't understand like how the body truly works. You just want to generalize and you know put a pretty bow around something so then it seems easy. um So, but anyways, um so it wasn't. Uh, so I said, we're not going like low calorie. There's a difference between like low calorie and intermittent fasting. Like for you, we're just uh, tapping into certain things. But yeah, he's like, I would eat at four. I, my wife would basically, I'd eat seconds then I just eat a totally different meal about five forty-five and polish off with a little bit of, he would, uh, his dessert wouldn't be like, um, actually sweet, but we would allow him sweet tasting. I didn't like to do it, but I don't want to make someone's life suck. You know, he already has Parkinson's. So, you know, if he has a little like monk fruit flavored chocolate a couple of times a week and like, dude, that shouldn't unravel everything, you know? Um, but anyway, so whenever we hear something like that, I say that's clinical gold. Because when patients tell me that magnesium or that thing or that thing, they're like, that was like what I needed. And I'm like, that's really great, but that's not going to translate. Because then their knee-jerk reflex says, well, if it worked for me, that means other people with Parkinson's need to only yeah. eat two hours a day, right? What if somebody else maybe has like massive blood sugar dysregulation? Then they they'll get not do reactive. well with that. Oh, yeah. Or like <laughs>
0: shot adrenals or they can't regulate yeah it's i yeah i see a lot genetics. of protocols that have been like branded or trademarked or something by various books or doctors or things yeah. and people will be like what do you think of this like should i live off celery juice i'm not going to name any names with yeah. that one or should i you know like this thing or this thing and i get that I don't think there's like a nefarious um, motivation behind a lot of that. I think that it, for a lot of practitioners, like a lot of people, which I learned in the first season of this podcast was mostly practitioners who went through a health crisis, who uh, made it through themselves. And then they learned all this stuff. And then they're like, what do I do with all this knowledge? I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a health practitioner. I'm going to help other people. And that's amazing. And a lot of practitioners, I think what happens is they do some stuff That helps them a ton and then they uh, like turn that into a structured protocol thing that Mm -hmm. then they give to everyone because it helped them a ton or they had one patient or client early in their practice who had a certain condition and they did this things for them and then that person was awesome so then they're the expert in that thing and they do the same thing for all the people and it'd be so much easier if that worked
1: yeah (laughs) No. And that's like, I made a post on Facebook about the seesaw analogy and the immune system. And I was like, I wish it was that easy. Like crime in Italy, if it was only two sides to worry about for the immune system, like that would be so incredibly simple because the immune system, there's always an exception to the rule. There's always like more than like a couple things going on. Like, which is why I cringe when people are like, Oh, I have this protocol, you know, I'm like autoimmunity. Like good luck with that. Like everything works until it doesn't in that scenario. Um, but that's why I love the brain. The brain is yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. It's like just a circuit diagram. Either that's, again, that prenormal pooling, either it goes there and it makes it successfully or it doesn't. And then we're like, okay, didn't go. So that's a no. Um, can we find a yes for maybe a different area? Like uh, for someone's cerebellum, we might do core training, we might do balance training, we might do eye training, we might do hand training, we might do vibration stuff. Um, so then we'll just kind of find we might do facial sensation. I've had people like balance better, just like this Alzheimer's guy. Uh, he was worried about falling down the stairs. We just put an ice pack, pack of peas on the side of his face and he could close his eyes and stand on one leg. Like that was one of my first, like one of my first neuroplasticity moments a long time ago. I watched it happen. and I was like, wow, it happens that fast,
0: you know? Do you stick frozen peas on everybody's face now?
1: Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so again, it doesn't have to be simple. They're like, well, I yeah. have this $50 gel pack. I'm like, Ooh, there's like some pork chops in the freezer, <laughs> you know. Like, a, what was that one movie? Um, oh gosh, I'm *Trying to Sandlot*. He got the black eye, and he just like put the steak on his yeah, head. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, anyways, totally irrelevant. But anybody out there who grew up when we did will appreciate uh, the *Sandlot* yeah. reference. So, they Major League Baseball is considering doing a game in a dirt field with very cool. Hopefully, a giant dog in the outfield. Yeah.
1: And that's, like, stuff for, like, back to, um, like, if we think about exercise for the brain, like, unstructured playtime for sports, Mm -hmm. like, better than the gym, I would say, for somebody, you're interacting with people, it's not so, so if we think about, like, as you know, back to that drive, like, if someone's like, oh, for my Parkinson's, my doctor told me to do isometric contractions, so I'm going to go in the gym and do a bunch of isometrics, but I hate it, I'd be like, well, that didn't get too far. You know, because again, if we have this mood and emotion around it, we're completely, in my opinion, completely negating it. Probably worse than if we just didn't try to force them to do it at all. Um, mm. But I run into that, that
0: a lot personally. Like I'll, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty open about it. I. I hate going to the gym, like weightlifting and that type of training. I had to do it for so long because of sports and it was like forced on me and it was part of practice. And some of it would be used as punishment by coaches and things like that. So like, I have a really negative, it's like, it's like going to like a job I don't like or like a chore I don't want to do. Like I equate going to the, like, I have the same reaction to go to the gym as if I had to like do laundry or wash the car or do like some sort of thing. Take an ice plunge yeah never you could tell me i'd live to 200 and have perfect health if i did one ice plunge and i'd be like oh sorry yeah so there's a neurochemicals involved in doing something that you hate doing for an hour yeah versus doing something you enjoy doing for an hour you're going to get physical activity either way yeah and there'll be different neurochemical responses right yeah
1: oh yeah and um back to we were talking about increasing vagal tone um and that gentleman we actually discussed cold showers he's like for my brain i'm like oh yeah back to if we think i'm um, like some of the best things we can do is a sleep on time don't know if you told if anyone told anyone listening staying up late is like so 1990s it's all about like that good quality sleep like i fall asleep on the couch like i, I mean i have patients that are embarrassed They're like oh i got tired at like 8 30 i'm like when would you wake up at like five i'm like Sounds about right. You know, like, the hell she's supposed to be, not be tired till midnight or something? Five hours of sleep? Because um, just one night of sleep loss. Ouch. Even after three nights of good sleep, your brain and your body do not behave the same. I would always get made, not made fun of, because they would get it. But we'd be at, like, at these neuro seminars, and all the speakers would be like, hey, we're going out after this. You want to come? I'm like, guys, it's like 930. Like, I'm going to bed. I got to get up early tomorrow. I got to speak. and." You know, and I just thought, this is so weird. Like, the exact people that should be like, shouldn't stay up late, blue light, alcohol. I mean, and that's where, like, a lot of the conferences I go to, they don't even have food that I would eat back to autoimmunity. Like, I, I mean, we're actually about to try einkorn just to see if we can get out. I'll, I'll be like the first guinea pig, you know? Um, is it true gluten or is it like, you know, modern wheat type stuff? Um, But I mean, I'll just practice my fasting. then. if I just like look at it and I'm like, cool, they got like Taco Bell for lunch and I'm at this health seminar, you know, Then I just like, they're like, aren't you going to get something like, no, my intermittent fasting is kicking in. Didn't plan on not getting food, but my body can switch metabolisms as necessary because we want that metabolic flexibility, right? I mean, like, um, I was raised Southern Baptist, but I love when Darwin said, uh, you know, the survival of a species isn't necessarily strength or intelligence, it's adaptability.
0: Yeah, Ad- the ones who can adapt to change, it's not mm-hmm. the strongest. We've changed the language of Darwin to include like the strongest or the fittest or the whatever, yeah. it's not, it's the most adaptable. We talked about a lot of things that, that cause neurodegeneration, which is basically normal, modern life, mm-hmm. and we can pull ourselves from that routine and start incorporating some, you know, intermittent fasting, some movement that, that we actually enjoy doing that feels good that we can do consistently, because I've heard uh, all the best people that are in, still in fitness and, and exercise and training where both of us used to be the ones that are the best when I ask them, what's somebody's ideal workout program, every single one of them says it's the thing that they'll do. Mm hmm. Yeah. it's the thing they'll be consistent with so like being consistent and then I agree with you on the bedtime I was I think I, it took me until I was about 35 years old before I ever went to bed before midnight and I was a night owl I was in the service industry yeah. I like I couldn't do it and I didn't know all the tips and tricks and solutions to resetting circadian rhythm so when I started to read about like the the importance of that I just got hardcore with myself and I decided I'm gonna go lay in the dark in my room at 9 30 every night Mm -hmm. and the first like month I laid there for hours yeah because I'd be watching the tv right up until that time I would have just eaten I would have done I would have been at the gym I would I didn't know anything so I'd be like life 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 go lay down in the dark Mm-hmm. And um that didn't work. And there's way better ways to do that. But now that I've adjusted to like I'm asleep by 30 10 o'clock every night, I'm up at six every day or earlier. Like mm-hmm. now, if I stay up till one in the morning or something, which rarely ever happens, but if yeah. I do that, I feel like I drank like a million beers. <laughs> like yeah. I feel hung over. I'm like confused. I'm dumb. I don't want to do anything. I'm in a bad mood. I'm depressed. Yeah. And what people don't realize is a lot of listeners, you might be in that state all the time.
1: And people live that way, man.
0: And everything is hard and you're frustrated and confused and you don't feel good and whatever. And it, 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 that's a baseline then. And so yeah. the brain doesn't like that. And so the yeah. nighttime is when the brain gets clean and does all the good maintenance things and clears everything out. So the sleeping, mm-hmm. the moving, some intermittent fasting if you can do it and start you know conservative with that yeah. i would guess to, to manage and about
1: knowing um, more i would say reps 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 um i, I just like consistency the, with all the things yeah and just yeah whatever you know somebody needs um because i just say the brain brain is good at what brain does so if the brain is good at hating being stressed it's only going to get good at it the brain is better at staying up late Um, because sleep loss and neurodegeneration that's a dangerous place to be because the brain the hippocampus and Alzheimer's like it's not just memory it's also sets that circadian rhythm Mm. so like man if you have someone's hippocampus degenerating they can't go to sleep they're just it's like fuel on fire things start to go like way faster for them So for some things, I just tell people like back to like back to why nootropics might be worse. Hopefully people learn like fatigability, like don't try to trick your brain and force it to do stuff. You know, it's maybe not the best long term strategy. I get it. Deadlines got to be met. Like I got kids, I'm a small business owner. Um, But man, there's just no way that that can be maintainable for anything close to long term.
0: No. And I've gone down that route. I used to take like tons of stuff for energy for brain for focus for yeah. concentration for mood for all these things and it would help yeah a little bit like i would get a little bit more energy i'd be able to focus a little bit better but then my crashes would be worse my mood swings would be worse
1: mm-hmm. and
0: now that i sleep better and i eat better and i move a little more and i have better um tools to like meditation and breathing and things like that yeah uh, I occasionally take uh, nootropic. It's actually Quicksilver's. It's called nanofuel, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. It tastes bad. I don't like it, but it um
1: Dr. Shade's more worried about um efficiency and working than flavor. Which yeah. Yeah. I love that guy.
0: Yeah. And that one I I I like that one. I take it a couple of days a week, probably. Mm-hmm. I don't um I don't take it as a crutch. Like I just take it a periodically and it seems to like improve things. I don't take it because like I can't make it through today if I don't take yeah. this thing. And that's the difference with a lot of these brain and energy things. That's is actually
1: how they should work. Because yeah. a lot of the times, the, so one big fancy word is called homo, um, homotrophic modulation. Homo meaning same, right? So the same neurotransmitter can regulate the sensitivity and feedback of itself acetylcholine is one of those a lot of tro- nootropics are acetylcholine you should if your brain is working good notice benefits for longer than having to take it daily interesting yeah, yeah. i do
0: and i've noticed that too with with some other like brain enhancement things that mm-hmm. are less regulated or legal along the microdosing lines that yeah um I've had people come to me with questions about that because it's a, it's a subject area I'm pretty knowledgeable in. And they're like, I've been microdosing this psychedelic every day for three months and I'm starting to feel like really burned out. Like that's because you're not supposed to take it every day. And um, so if you're living off nootropics and by the way, we keep using this term, nootropics are like supplements and things you can take that are marketed to improve brain function and focus yeah. and like energy and
1: it's like performance enhancing drugs, but for the brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I have a patient um, massive TBI and um, they do the micro dosing, but I actually had to like talk them out of it. Like, Hey, it's winter. Like you're always go, go, go. I'm like a tree sheds its leaves in the winter. I'm like, we need to focus. Cause we distinctly have a summer and a winter metabolism we are genetically so far from the weather now it's kind of sad because you know it's like 72 degrees in my house right now i don't know it's winter outside if i didn't step outside but anyways so we have this metabolism so i try to always look at nature like Faconi, all these things are in like life right we are life so anyways it's cool um, I just told her, like, have you ever thought of just, like, doing less for your husband? Like, let's just chill on some of them. Like, let's focus on healing instead of expanding for right now. Like, I understand it's traumatic brain injury. There's a lot that needs to be done. but He's already, like, four years out from his injury. So now we're in it for the long-term game. So we're doing more of those lifestyle things. Less supplements, more like, now that your husband's brain can regulate blood sugar better... Let's start fasting a little bit more. Let's start doing this a little bit more. We got to get to sometimes running the marathon, like you said, you know, when you're like, I oh, don't run up a marathon? Like, if that's their goal to be a marathon, like, then our job is to get them there. You know, can I get someone's brain able to do that long enough and just keep going? Um, but, you know, all things in due time, right?
0: If people want to check out working with you, uh, what's the best way to do so? We'll have some buttons below on the show notes and things. So it'll be easy to click and find. But what's the first step if they want to do that?
1: Yeah, um, my website's drjaredsigler.com. I'm on social media. This is my face, but people can't see that on Spotify. So, But yeah, or uh, I like to do what I call a discovery call where I just say, we're not going to like back to the guy with seven strokes. Like we're not going to fix it in the 20 minute phone call or video chat, but you know, do I like somebody? Do they like me? Can I help them? Are they going to do what it takes? As long as there's kind of that, like those big yeses, like, like, like when you're like, Hey, I just send people, you that are really sick. I kind of laugh on the inside because I'm like, cause all these, you know, marketing people like what's your avatar. And I'm like, I, seem to attract the people that have been to nine functional medicine doctors already and can't find what they're looking for. So I'm number 10. I was like, that just seems to be like who I attract. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So anyways, um, but I would say like, if you have these chronic health things and then I'm done, I know my ADD keeps going Um, before you get super duper complex and always reach out and we can chit chat. I say, just make sure you're not missing something basic or women, whoever's listening, I actually work with more women, more women typically care about their health um, than males, you know, we're tough guys. I said, they'll go to the doctor (laughs) when they're dead. Yeah, basically. Um, But you know, and that's just where um, I find if we've tried all these complex things, and someone's been to nine doctors, and they're coming to see me, I'm like, we must have missed something just so basic that we're kind of like, Oh, duh. It's not all the time there. Like sometimes we'll get super complex about stuff and we have to when we have to. Um, But I like Occam's Razor. Let's get rid of unnecessary complexity. All things being equal, the simplest solution tends to be the right one.
0: Check out Dr. Jared on our, our Brain and Neuro Masterclass. We did a, an also a, a bonus like training program that we have on the site with him. We have all kinds of things. There's even some posts on the blog that he contributed. So head over, just do a search on our site. You'll find a bunch of stuff with Dr. Jared. He's got his buttons below. Thanks a lot, man. I always enjoy our conversations. I know we get to sprinkle in fun anecdotes and pop culture. And we also have a similar background in a lot of ways with uh, the PT type training and the strength coaching yeah. and the similar trajectory and the, and the attempting to give ourselves neurodegeneration for a long time, yeah. uh, that we've my brain been through, owes me so.
1: big and I'm going to make him pay. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it did something to me earlier in my life that I wanted to punish it for. I okay. haven't figured out yet what that was, but I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to make it up to yeah, it. Nice. So thanks yeah. for everything you share. Uh, also on social media, again, check out his Facebook page. There's really good posts there that I actually find more worthwhile than most content that I pay to read. So appreciate that. Well, have uh, a good
1: day, everybody. And I love you too, man.
0: Take it easy. See ya. And that wraps up another episode of the natural evolution podcast. Thanks for listening. And please check out the links in the show notes below to learn more about our guest and grab your free downloadable foundations of wellness starter kit, which will help you implement what you're learning here and make powerful shifts in your health and your life right away. Just go to www.rebelhealthtribe.com foundations, and you can be started in only a few minutes. If you enjoy the show, please drop a rating, review, or subscribe to stay in the loop with future releases.